0: Welcome, welcome, Law Nation. As always, I hope you're having a fantastic day and a fantastic week. Before we get started, if you're thinking about your future and how to go about creating more time and freedom, take action now and join Epic, our Esquire Passive Investor Club, by going to passiveincomeattorney.com and clicking Join the Club. Look, we all start this investing journey somewhere, and maybe. I'll give you just enough motivation for you to take that next step and house hack into a duplex, or you'll buy a rental property, or you'll start an e-commerce store. Or if you've listened carefully and you don't have time for that, maybe you'll invest passively in an apartment building. How far can that get you? Well, far, really far. How about 7 million square feet of real estate? in 25 different states? Or how about financial freedom so that you can practice or work part-time, or not at all, to travel, to spend more time with the people you love, and to live a lifestyle by design? How awesome would that be? It's closer than you think. Our guest of honor, Daniel Farber, is the CEO of HLC Equity, a multi-generational real estate investment firm rooted in a family of attorneys that has owned and operated real estate in over 25 states throughout the USA, having owned and managed over 7 million gross square feet of commercial, residential, and development land. Can't wait for this. Let's go. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast,
1: where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra-wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money, so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley.
0: Daniel, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show.
2: Hey there. Happy Thursday.
0: Happy Thursday.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, man. So let's just jump right in, brother. What's your story? Tell us a little bit about your background.
2: Sure. Well, um... uh, have a pretty diverse background. Everything running from uh, experience uh, in in the military to working as a journalist to working as a strategic consultant in the technology space primarily. And uh, you know, eventually, it actually was never within my plans, but I eventually made my way into real estate, and then eventually got into the family business, which is HLC Equity. And so that's kind of where we are today. It, I've, you know, been working you know full time heavily in in real estate for uh, well over a decade.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome, man. So I I know you have a few businesses, but let's start out with HLC equity. Tell me a little bit about that, that current business.
2: Sure. With pleasure. So HLC equity, we're a multi-generational real estate investment company. Um, traditionally we did a lot of kind of, uh, retail, um, shopping centers, what, what we call, you know, triple net, uh, lease assets and that type of, um, that type of uh, asset class, and then we eventually shifted into multifamily and to, to running multifamily assets. But as of today, you know, we're an owner-operator, been around for over 70 years, um, and wow. you know, just just really uh, have uh, been fully entrenched in the real estate investment business for for a long time.
0: That's really cool, man. 70 years is a, is a long time to be in the yeah. in the real estate game. Maybe dive in a little bit deeper into maybe the origins of the company and, and, and kind of that deep family history, just because a lot of times, sure. you know, we talk about real estate as being a, a multi, you know, creating multi-generational wealth. And it, it seems like you guys have been able to do that.
2: Sure. Yeah. Well, with pleasure. So, um, you know, interestingly enough, uh, a lot of the core from the origins of the, the, the business actually came from the law practice. So um, one of the founders of the company, um, Herman Lipsitz, he was a uh, child of the depression, very hardworking individual who in the morning had a distribution business in the afternoon had a law practice and with the proceeds would buy real estate in the evening. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's kind of you know going back to, um, to yeah, yeah, 40s even before that, to the 40s and so forth, uh, 50s. Um, and it really actually, the, the, some of the origins started in Arizona, so going out to places like uh, the outskirts of Scottsdale, finding land and then using that, the, that legal um, savvy to rezone the land and, and then sell it off and kind of like building, building from that, uh, you know, eventually went into more kind of solid assets like uh, shopping centers and so forth and, um, you know, in, in really if that was the the beginning.
0: That's awesome, and I think a, a lot of our listeners can really relate to that, especially the yeah. attorneys. Um, yeah. You know, and we preach about that all the time. It's it, to start out. You know, I think the best way to go about this is to use that active income because a lot of these folks uh, that are listening are highly paid professionals already, so they already have a, a really high income. So why not take that active income and use that uh, to invest in real estate, either passively or maybe even actively if you haven't have, you know, some extra time. Uh, sure. and that's what your grandfather was able to do. Right.
2: Right. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think that it's really important to differentiate between real estate as an investment and real estate as a business. Right. So as an investment, like the passive income is huge and it's great. And back then, you know, there weren't like all these platforms and all these syndications that existed. Right. So then it was basically like, you know, if you wanted to get in real estate, you more or less just had to go do it on your own. Right. I mean, sometimes, you know, Um, And actually, you know, that that was the case historically with some of our family members that they went into to partnerships and then they were able to passively earn income as well, which, which was very great and beneficial, but there weren't nearly as many options as today. And so I think that definitely like a big part of that push was the idea that yes, we wanted to earn passive income, but you know, the time issue is a major thing, right? Because actively managing real estate is a full endeavor. So eventually you know, he got out of law completely, uh, more or less. He got out of all of his other businesses because it became a full-time thing. But that, you know, that that's, you're talking about a very unique individual that worked, you know, 20-hour days easily.
0: Right. So. Yeah, right. And that's the big thing. It, it's, you know, ask yourself, how much time do you really have? I mean, if you have yeah. a full time legal practice, especially at like a big firm or something where you're just billing tons of hours, I mean, you don't have right. time to, to really actively participate in real estate, at least not on a, any kind of scale.
2: Right. 100%. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, today, when you have options of just simply passively investing with an active manager, um, it like, makes a lot more sense. And I'll even go further than that. And I'll tell you, even though I'm an active manager, um, I, I make passive investments with other managers, you know, that may be doing something different in a different location or a different asset class or something else I believe in, because it's really a no brainer. I mean, you know, you, there's always risks associated with it, um, just like any investment, but, you know, I'm just but going out and buying a fourplex, right. Just as an example, to do it well to do it right is so complicated and it's so like it seems easy but you know people that over the last few years may have done well doing it because the market has just gone up but really to have like a solid investment it's really complicated and you need proper management and so for to be able to just pass it on and say hey you know i just want to kind of sit back and, and and watch it grow is is very powerful and and the options are you know are plentiful today
0: yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of it comes down to getting people comfortable with the idea of of investing passively. They didn't even know you could do it. I mean, really until the, the Jobs Act, I think, what was that, 2012 or somewhere in there, uh, when you were able to solicit and advertise for these sorts of things, it really kind of brought right. it to the mainstream and more people kind of started having access to these investments. Um, people are still just getting comfortable with that idea. I mean, you know, back in your grandfather's day or even 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, it was like you had to know somebody that knew somebody that syndicated uh, so, you, so you can participate in those deals passively. And there weren't that many people that knew about it. You had to, you know, be part of the country club or, or whatever. You had to know somebody yeah special and have that right. connection to be able to participate. But nowadays, like you said, there's, they're, they're all over the place. You've just got to, you know, immerse yourself in it, get comfortable with the idea and, you know, you can get great returns and diversify out of the stock market.
2: Right. No, hundred percent. And I would just say like, from my own personal standpoint, you know, I do have some fear in terms of all of the advertisement and there's definitely groups out there that advertise, you know, returns that are not realistic. And I have, a fear of people being lured by these high double-digit numbers and i think that it's very important to say like you know that the returns are what they are right the question needs to be does this investment fit kind of like my risk profile in terms of you know do i want income producing multifamily or retail or industrial whatever it may be and then the other questions that are just crucial to me are who is the sponsor and have they been around for you know several Years, preferably decades, to have weathered economic downturns, um, and then, and then, uh, the you know the other factors that play into it is 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 the is the risk profile what I'm looking for, and then also do they have skin in the game, which to me is also always huge. And so with our investments and our investors always appreciate we're we're you know many times the significant investor in in our deals, and we take a lion's share of the equity sometimes. So so I think those are like. The the two really important factors.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's a great question to ask anytime before you invest into into one of these deals. You know, do you have skin in the game? Are you investing yourself? How much right. is the you know the general partnership investing? You know, what percentage yeah. of the total raise is that? You know, just get a feel for if if they're actually really committed to this deal themselves, they're putting their right. their capital at risk as well.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the who
2: the sponsor the sponsor right. is is key. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, it, it takes a little bit of due diligence up front. I mean, we call this passive investing, but really, you know, it's not completely right. passive, at least at the beginning, you've got to do your due diligence on the sponsor, the market, the deal. Right. Um, but then after that, then it really does turn into a truly passive investment.
2: Yeah, 100%. It, it all, and I'll say that, you know, I think with the groups that I invest in passively, I literally just look, is this group, do I like this group? Do I like what they're investing in? I don't ask any questions about the deal because that's what I'm paying them for, right? And I know things can go wrong and there's risks and everything. And you know, that's why you don't put all your, you know, your eggs in one basket. But, but those are the crucial questions, I think.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting take, man. Because yeah. you are right though. I mean, you can you can manipulate those the underwriting to make it spit yeah. out whatever return you want. So, yeah. you've got to be careful as to not just look, at, you know, this deal and this deal and say, "Oh, this has got a better IRR, so let's go with this right. one." That's not what you need right. to look at. You know, the sponsor, the track record, all that kind of stuff is is way more important than that. Yeah,
2: 100%. Definitely.
0: So, kind of going back to how you guys you know, moved out of the retail sector, and or not completely, maybe, but started sure. to move to multifamily. Why did you make that pivot?
2: Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. So, you know, the, the the net lease retail, both shop, neighborhood shopping centers and the net lease asset classes have their own unique advantages and disadvantages. Um, some of the advantages are that you know, if you get a good tenant in, that's a good credit you have solid streams of income, right? And then the downside is, is that there's not as much upside in a lot of the scenarios because you have a long-term lease that's locked in and, and a lot of times you can't capture the upside for a long time. So coming out of like the last recession, you know, two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, we saw that there was going to be huge demand for multifamily. Multifamily was not nearly as you know hot and talked about back then. I mean, it's always been a great asset class, but it wasn't like you heard about it every second on social media. Right. And um, and so and so we felt, but we also felt like kind of between the demand, inflation, financing, it just made a lot of sense. So we started doing smaller size deals and. Um, New York and Brooklyn and some other areas. And then we started looking at some other markets that you know made sense to us. So Dallas was one that we kind of picked up in 2015. Um, Denver. Uh, and that's where we kind of like started really growing our our platform in terms of um, you know, do, doing larger scale deals and 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 you know kind of like having more value add. A more value-add approach where we're able to get current income and current cash flow but we're able to also appreciate over the long term as well
0: gotcha gotcha at what point did you start bringing in outside investors did you really keep everything yeah. kind of tight to the vest for for decades before you started bringing yeah. in outside capital
2: yeah 100 so for decades it was you know either either private um dealings or else or else a couple partnerships with like some significant groups and then really what what as a growth strategy those were our two ships is let's get into multifamily and also let's offer this given we have track record we have you know the ability to co-invest we have a great management team let's use that and let's you know partner with other investors and then you know obviously the jobs act played into that in saying look we we want to create a, build our relationships with everybody from you know high net worth accredited investors to private equity groups institutions and so forth so really you know we're 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 blessed to have the full breadth of investors that come with us, everything from wealth management to private individuals. Um, and yeah, and so, you know, it's really a growth strategy, but also a partnership. We're able to do more, we're able to buy more buildings, and we're able to also allow other people to benefit, um, you know, from our, from our track record.
0: Right, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you guys have been doing it for seven decades right. now, so you can bring in outside retail investors, even at like the retail level, and bring folks right. in that, you know, they can participate with you, knowing that you've got the experience and the track record uh, to be able to perform and, and meet those returns.
2: Right, right, hundred percent. Yeah. So
0: you know, you you kind of alluded to a little bit how the the multifamily market is starting to heat up. Well, it has been heating up for quite some time. Yeah. I and mean, what what's your overall multifamily market outlook?
2: Yeah, sure. So you know, they're they're definitely. I mean, I think that as an asset class, it's extremely strong. There's huge demand. There's been demand, you know, forever. They can't build fast enough to meet the demand. Right. So there's a lack of supply with huge demand. So, so, so the fundamentals in terms of, you know, the, the, the demand and supply are very strong. Um, Obviously there's, you know, serious concerns around um, valuation uh, and just the competitiveness. And, you know, we're seeing just like lots of other people, people are doing really crazy things, putting out crazy numbers. Um, and it's a function of, you know, so much capital in the market, which exists in the stock market right now, and everything from the stock market to crypto to real estate. And so it, I think those are concerning, but as an asset class and multifamily, um, you know, just in terms of the demand, I think that that's kind of why it's considered the safe harbor. I will say that I hate saying that because I'm always fearful when people say, well, it's the best asset class because somebody always needs a place to live. And, yeah. and as we've seen with, uh, you know, with the pandemic, I mean, Nothing is a sure thing, right? You have absolutely no idea. Who could have imagined that we can't travel, you know, freely right now? And so it's just like, I don't like having those assumptions, but in general, we feel very good about it. But the main challenge though is definitely pricing and valuation.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so much competition and you know, inflation of the numbers. I mean. You know, looking at the same, like, let's say near downtown deals, multifamily, big right. deals, over hundred units. And you, if you happen to see like the same return projected returns that you were seeing five years ago, there's something wrong there. Like you need to dig yeah. into the underwriting, you need to dig into the sponsor and, and, you know, you're just seeing a lot of these inflated projected returns and you've just got to be really careful on, you know, who you're getting into bed with there.
2: Yeah hundred percent. You know, I, I was, I was speaking to one of our investors and, and we were talking about time horizon for investment. And I said, you know, I, I'm a very short-term thinker. Uh, our time, our investment horizon is 30 years. Right. So, so, uh, so, so I think that, you know, in a day and age where you have, you know, these, all these platforms pushing like two year returns of IRR, you know, 20% and, and all of this stuff, I think what's really important for fundamental investors is to change a the, the the expectations in terms of returns and b the time horizon and so you know being long term a long term firm i think that the main thing is you know that we can pay i don't want to say we want, we can pay the create some of the crazy valuations we've seen but we can pay because we're paying you know we're, we're investing for 10 years right we're not investing for 2 so and i think that that's an important uh, differentiator and also an important kind of outlook that we have to have just given the current reality because nobody knows what's going to be in two years or 10 years for that matter right yeah
0: yeah i mean that's something i'm really curious about especially lately because i just started rethinking you know we we got in this real estate game for the long game right like we we want to hold it forever that's that's usually our mindset going into it but then we kind of get caught up in like oh we can get your cap all your capital back uh in two or three years and then you know we'll be exiting in five and they, right. they basically turn these deals into a, a long, like a, a quick flip, basically, dealing with an apartment complex instead of just a single family house. Um, yeah. I think we, like you said, need to really examine how we look at these deals. And instead of yeah. looking at IRR, let's look at like total yeah. return. Let's look at cash yeah. on cash return and dividends and things like that. Um, rather than saying, "Okay, well, you can get your money back in, in five years, or three years, or two years," but then you've got to find another great deal to put it into. Why not keep it right. in a great deal for ten years, fifteen years, forever, yeah. as long as it's still right. spinning off cash flow?
2: Yeah, hundred percent. So I definitely think cash flow is the focus for us. The other thing is, I can say when we look at back at our investments, without a doubt, what we invested when it was a long term play, it always panned out, you know, ten times better than if we would have done a short-term play, even if the, 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 the investment actually ended up being shorter term than we expected, right? So a lot of times when we were buying for the long-term, if that was our intention. After even a year or two, the the, the the results became much better, but that's because we added a long-term out, outlook on the buy.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Uh, so I've heard you mention a few different markets. So where where actually do you buy at? Is it national? Yeah. Are you really yeah. looking for any great market, or, or where do you guys look? Yeah.
2: So on the retail side, you know, we've been in 25 states, and, and we have a pretty national uh, you know presence now. I think we're in nine. We've also sold off a whole portfolio of our real estate of our retail. Um, the markets that we're most active in right now is uncertain. You know, definitely uh, Dallas, Denver. Um, and then you know we we've been active in a couple other markets like Brooklyn and so forth. But really, we're we're looking into new markets now. So um, whereas you know, twenty fifteen, we went into Dallas before it became you know as crazy as it is. Now we're 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 looking in, and we're actually you know going in a contract on some uh, transactions into into newer newer markets uh, that you know, we feel our growth markets, um, definitely we believe in the story of, you know, migration from the coast, trying mm-hmm. to find affordability, weather and so forth into the Southern states. So that's definitely something that we're, we're, we're focused on as well.
0: For sure. For sure. Um, are there any other asset classes you guys are, are bullish or bearish on, or, you know, considering entering into?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, there definitely are. I think there's, you know, we have some partners that are very big in self-storage. I think that's a great asset class. And, you know, it's one of the ones that you hear about a lot. And obviously, industrial is also very, it's very um, hot. And, and we aren't involved in industrial. I, I think that there's a good case for it to be so attractive. But I also think that a lot of it is kind of pandemic related and the, the surge in, in e-commerce. And so we'll see if that demand you know, keeps up in the next five years. And then the other thing is just, you know, when you get into the industrial, a lot of times you get into some of the issues we had with our retail, right, which is that great, you get a great lease and everything, but there, you're not able to incrementally benefit from from inflation, which, you know, is is a likely scenario in the next several years. So, you know, I I think that there are a lot of other interesting asset classes out there. Um, It's just, you know, we, we, we focus kind of on certain areas to be really good at what we do.
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, you can't be everywhere, but it's, it's good to just keep a, a, an overall feel on the markets and, and the different types of asset classes that are out there so that you right. can't take advantage of those those next opportunities. Um, I mean, I personally, I think there's so much uh, opportunity in hospitality right now, although it is starting to heat up again. but you know it, it, those assets are selling at 40 cents on the dollar right now due to the pandemic. But the thing right. is, you can't you can't get them financed. Right. So you've got to raise right. the, the equity to, to buy the whole thing cash, basically. Um, yeah. But, you know, opportunities like that are incredible. And obviously, senior living, that's another one that's going to be coming back, uh, roaring back after after the pandemic finally goes away. Um, like you said, self-storage is great. Mobile home parks, you know, explore, you know, what you're what you're interested in and get good at it.
2: Yeah, 100%. I mean, another, you know, big play that we're seeing come out, and, and it's just a matter of time, I think, until it becomes overvalued, but is, is, you know, hospitality to multifamily conversions. So we actually have been looking at several of those deals. I mean, the story makes sense, right? It makes perfect yeah. sense. You know, there's, there's, um, but we, we actually just put out on our, on our blog, on our HLC insights blog, we just put out a, a post kind of like, what you need to look for when doing a multifamily conversion, because it's more complicated than it seems, but you know, it, it it definitely has potential. And I know a lot of groups that are, that are doing it right now. So, yeah.
0: yeah. Now I know we talked about like a lot of the good things that can happen, right. And a lot of the things you're, you're, you're bullish on, what are, what are maybe some of the risks or the, what are you leery of with respect to the real estate industry in the near future?
2: Sure. I mean, you know, I think that it's, you know, as 2008 showed us, real estate, you know, is still highly tied to the stock market, you know, and, and there's just the overall economy. So I, I think that, the, you know, real estate, again, as an asset class, they're not able to, you know, builders aren't able to build in order to keep up with the demand, especially in the multifamily space. Um, but there, you know, there, there there is the overall economy, which is, you know, just just crazy and, and has, you know, all fun. It's, It's unfortunate to say, but it seems like all fundamentals have been thrown out of the window and we're seeing that roll into the real estate industry as well, right? Where people are paying just, you know, just, you know, wild amounts and doing, you know, just crazy things and it never ends well when, when they do that, which is why another reason why you can still benefit if you take a long-term approach and, you know, you just don't take on too much of a high risk profile with the deal.
0: Right, right. Um, I want to switch gears just a little bit because I want to sure. talk about your another one of your company's layers. Yep. Um, yep. And I think, I'd, I'd like to just give you, a, uh, maybe just give us an overview of, of layers.
2: Yeah, definitely. So as we started buying and managing our properties, our multifamily properties, we kept thinking, you know, like, is there a better model that we can create? You know, real estate is it, multifamily has been run the same exact way for so long. It is efficient, but maybe there's, you know, in every efficient market, there's still some type of uh, innovation and disruption that you can, you can bring across, and so we uh, we started, you know, playing with all kinds of different models, both from, you know, can we, how can we be more community oriented? Maybe we can offer additional services, and then we also kind of incorporated um, corporate housing and, and serve, serve what we call service departments, which is essentially furnishing the apartments and ask, and offering services around it. So we built a consumer centric brand consumer centric as into the, our, our residents, our tenants at the multifamily properties. And we now offer our layers brand and operating model. So if, a, some, if someone comes to our layers property, they can get a whole bunch of different services and they can also get um, uh, a furnished apartment. And so that a furnished apartment side of our business has actually proven to be quite lucrative uh, because we're able to, to, to gain significant premiums uh, and also offer a better service offering all, all together.
0: That's cool. What, what are some of those services?
2: Um, well there, there's the, our pre pandemic services and our during the pandemic (laughs) services because pre pandemic, it was everything from like, you know, uh, getting discounts and spa services and, and, you know, dog walking services and all kinds of services, just that people need laundry and so forth. Um, and, and now, you know, with our service departments, we offer cleaning, we offer, um, you know, so, uh, other concierge services, sometimes it's, you know, b- by demand, um, but, but really there's also, like, we've created a very um, kind of, like, streamlined process to offer furnished apartments and the demand for these apartments, because we've built this marketing system that kind of, like, funnels it into our properties and our pipeline, so we've been able to implement that at our properties And that has been really the the primary service that people have needed. And and there's all kinds of demands, everything from essential traveling workers that, you know, don't want to stay in hotels to corporate to people who are buying homes or have some type of family, you know, mix up, there's all kinds of different reasons people want these, these, uh, these units.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like it's just really overall. Just the goal is to make your clients more comfortable, whatever that, whatever yeah. those services might look like. And you've had to stay flexible uh, during the yeah. pandemic to to sure. your offerings, right?
2: Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And then there, during the pandemic, it's been you know because community is a big part of it, right? So people want to come, they want to feel part of a community, especially in this day and age, especially in a you know era of isolation the last year. And sure. so you know we've 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 you know quickly pivoted to, you know, we had an app, we had a community app and everything that we connect everyone. And now we're able to just do a lot more digital kind of community uh, activities and stuff in order to keep an engaged community.
0: Awesome. Awesome. All right, Daniel, before we jump into the Freedom Four, one last golden nugget for our listeners.
2: You know, I, I was thinking about this and, and um, everybody says it. And so, you know, I, I, it's just so true. Like people, the people that you surround yourself with is just like, it's amazing how, you know, like just the, what what we're able to produce and the production that we're able to, to bring and how we're able to move. Just because thankfully we have just an amazing team and just great people um, has really been like a game changer. And so I think everything from personal life to business, you know, it, it really is just the people. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It might, you know, you might read that in every business book, but you know, for, for what it's worth, I, I found it extremely true.
0: Yeah, it, it's so true. I mean, the people that yeah. you surround yourself with really make yeah. or break you. I mean, yeah. you know, if you surround yourself with with people that that are successful, you're going to end up being successful. If you surround yourself with people that aren't. You probably won't be. I mean, it, it's, it, it's crazy how that works out. And even though people hear it over and over and over again, they don't necessarily right. act on it, right? They might just, right. they, they, they stay comfortable where they're at. They don't surround themselves sure. with successful people. And then they, you know, yeah. they're upset because their, their lives don't change. So, yeah. you know, they need to make it, uh, make a point to, to really start surrounding themselves with, with the people that they want to become.
2: Right. And I'll just I'll just ask I'll, I'll go one bit beyond that. And I'll just tell you that generally when I'm hiring, especially if it's for a business development or like, like, uh, you know, general overall um, executive position, my main question that I'm asking myself is, is, is this person better than me? Because if they're better than me, then I want to get them immediately. Right. Yeah. And, and so that uh, like, you know, I, I mean, I think that it's an important thing, because you always want to make sure that the person, the people you bring on your team are going to up your ante, right? That's that's what it comes down to.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's a really forward way of thinking, right? Because a lot right. of people would say, oh man, if I think they've got more potential right. than me, I'm not gonna right. hire them because I don't want right. them to take my place. <laughs>
2: right, right, yeah, yeah,
0: 100%. <laughs> all right, yep. man, let's, let's jump into the Freedom Four. It's time for the Freedom Four. Yep. So what's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy?
2: Um, you know, my, my main thing is first of all, as part of my Jewish tradition, I, I, I pray in the morning. And, and then exercising, I don't exercise as much as I'd like to, but whether it's hiking or, you know, weights, I I do it, you know, at at least uh, two times, if not more a week. And that definitely, you know, with all the craziness and especially in a day and age where we're on a screen way more than I'd like to admit, um, you know, it's, it's key to me.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. In an alternative universe where you weren't involved in your current businesses, what would you be doing?
2: So without a doubt, uh, you know, I, I was, it would, it would be like journalism and some type of diplomatic work. Cause that's the direction that for a long time, I thought I was going until I realized what politics was all about. And then I, <laughs> I decided I liked, <laughs> I liked, I liked the business world a little bit more.
0: Had enough, had enough of that, yeah. right? Right. <laughs> where were you at five years ago and where do you see yourself five years from now?
2: So five years ago, from a company standpoint, we were, um, you know, we we were just kind of trying to figure out what our our overall business plan was and our model. And so now I think that, you know, we have a very good vision and I see us expanding our investment portfolio and also expanding our layers kind of brand and footprint, both in terms of buying properties and running it through layers and our layers light service, which offers a a service to other landlords. So I expect those brands to be, you know, To be in several States. I mean, at least, at least 12 different States by, by then.
0: Very cool. Very cool. How has passive income made your life better?
2: Um, I mean, I, I just, you know, it, 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 uh, has definitely allowed me to focus on the two, you know, two, two or three things that are very important being, you know, family career and, you know, and also just living a healthy life while knowing that there's some sort of stability, which is huge.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Passive income. That's where it's at, man. I think that's maybe yeah. why you gravitated back away from the <laughs> journalism yeah. as well, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. That's, yeah. Yes, that's for sure. That was a factor. <laughs>
0: All right, man. Daniel, where can our listeners find out more about you?
2: Yeah. So, um, in, in the show notes, uh, we're going to put a a link to, um, HLC insights where we bring various insights on real estate and innovation because innovation within real estate is something we're very big on. So being able to find out, you know, more about investments and innovation. So we'll, we'll have that link. And also just to visit our site at hlcequity.com. We have our HLC direct, which is where our investors can go and they can sign up as, you know, accredited investors as well. Um, that's it.
0: Awesome, man. Appreciate you coming on today.
2: Great. Thank you very much. Thanks,
0: Appreciate it. All right. Dan, the man, you can easily tell he's a true expert in the industry. What an intriguing family story of creating multi-generational wealth. Also loved his analysis on the multifamily, as well as other commercial real estate industries. Major key, one passive investment or one property can lead to the next and then to 10 and then 20 and then even thousands. It can lead to the creation of a family office that turns into a national real estate development company to create a real legacy through multi-generational wealth. Plant seeds now and watch them grow. To learn more about passive investing in alternative assets, go to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com and download the Freedom Blueprint. All right, catch y'all on the next one. Enjoy the journey.
1: Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive
0: Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.